good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to everyone listening, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 14 of the Well-Read Podcast. Happy New Year's Eve. For those of you who are new here, welcome. I am your host, Megan Bierke, a.k.a. The Real Bookish Writer. I am a reader, writer, bookseller, book festival goer, and I am and always have been obsessed with genre fiction. Normally, there is a segment where I review the books I've read for the past week, but because this is another special extra-long episode, just in time for the new year, let's jump right in. My first guest today is the USA Today best-selling adult romance author of Love in the Time of Serial Killers and With Love from Cold War, which had its own Barnes & Noble exclusive edition. Her third book, The Art of Catching Feelings, is out in June from Berkeley Publishing. An avid Paramore fan, she currently lives in Florida with her husband and two children. Please welcome Alicia Thompson. Well, welcome, 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 Alicia. I'm so excited to talk with you, especially because I just did a reread of with love from cold world i always get the title mixed up yeah it's it's long <laughs> i just call it cold world honestly cold world yeah and yeah. it's like it's like the perfect book for like christmas like obviously it's a good romance for any time of the year because it's always cold in cold world but uh i reread it and i was like this is just this is such a good book to reread during the holidays so i'm really excited to talk with you especially about that one yeah but, great yeah Let's just dive in. The first question I always like to ask, why did you want to become a writer and how did it kind of happen? Um, I mean, I've wanted to be a writer since I was a kid, since I was like kindergarten, you know, first grade, second grade. Um, I've just always loved stories. I love, you know, reading books. Uh, I love the way that like you can just disappear into a world and the way that they make you feel. And there's something so special to me about reading a book and I don't know, just all these little moments that are so realistic or that you feel like you can relate to. Um, and I feel like I carry them with me. Like if I read a really good book, I feel like I carry these like little moments with me, almost like I know the characters and they're like friends of mine. Uh, and so I just have always wanted to basically do that myself. And I've been writing since I was really young. And I wrote my first romance novel technically when I was like in high school, which is hilarious because I mean, I hadn't <laughs> even dated anybody at that point. Like I Literally, I was like reading sex scenes to just try to study how to write them because I had never even gotten close to ever having sex in my life. So, um, yeah, I just I've always I've always been into it. How did you sit down? Because for love in the time of serial killers, is that the right? That's how you say it, right? For love in the time of serial killers. Yeah, did there's a four, but just lo love in the time of serial killers. Love in the time of serial killers. Yeah. Uh, how did you come up with that idea and how did your publishing journey start like what made you go this is the one that I want to publish and how did that happen well um my publishing journey actually started way before that I published a YA novel back in 2009 and I published some uh children's books after that um and so honestly the story behind at least the publishing journey part of love in the time of serial killers was that I I I didn't know necessarily that it was going to be the one, you know, I mean, I was trying to kind of get back to publishing. I had, um, you know, had those books come out. And then one thing that I think people don't always tell you or that you just don't know about publishing is that you think of it almost like once I get on the conveyor belt that I'm on it and I'm good, you know, and everybody's going to want like my next book and everybody's going to be excited about whatever I'm, you know, working on. And, and of course you see all these great uh, success stories of other authors and you're like look at her she's putting out a book a year everybody's excited you know um 
And you kind of don't know until you're on that conveyor belt that it's like, no, they can shove you off in five seconds. Like, kind of nobody gives a shit about your next book necessarily, uh, which sounds really bleak. But I'm just saying that it took me a long time to get back on it. Um, one thing about Love in the Time that was, I think, different that I knew even as I was writing it was kind of special is that it's a very personal book to me. There's I put a lot into it. And so sometimes they say things where they're like, oh, just write the book of your heart. And I, I, I would have told you I'm doing that every time. Like everything I wrote, I was like, this is the book of my heart. Like every I'm putting I'm leaving it all on the stage, just like you're telling me to. And yet, you know, nobody's biting on it. Um, but that book, I knew even as I was writing it, had something kind of special to it, just because there was a lot that I was kind of putting into it. And I always had the idea for uh, somebody who is really obsessed with true crime and just the way that that would affect your thinking. I'm not a huge true crime person, actually, anymore. You might be surprised by that. Like, I used to be a much bigger true crime person than I am now. Um, but I I do find when I go into that place where all of a sudden all I want is like true crime content I think it like warps my brain a little bit you know where all of a sudden I'm just like I'm extra paranoid I'm extra mistrusting I don't believe in love I don't believe that people are good at heart um and so I just kind of thought that it was uh an interesting place to start in a romance novel is if you're somebody who's in that all the time how do you then like meet anybody you know, because every single person is a potential, like, this is the Craigslist killer. This is the Tinder killer. This <laughs> exactly. is like, literally like any place I could possibly think of to meet somebody. Um, I just, I'm not going to trust them. Uh, and so that's, that was a lot of the start of, you know, the idea for that book. So why did you, because it sounds like you've been a romance fan and you've wanted to write romance since you were young. So, mm. and you said that you wrote a YA book and you did some children's books. But when you came back, why did you choose romance to be your outlet? Because the true crime thing is a very interesting concept, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But why romance? Like, why is that the genre that it seems like has kind of piqued your interest for a really long time? Yeah, I guess. Um, so I in high school, I wrote romance because I was reading a lot of uh, like my mom's Harlequin Presents novels. And so I really wanted to write like a Harlequin Presents. Um, and so I wrote several of those and tried to get them published. And then I got really into YA. I was reading a lot of uh, Sarah Dessen, a lot of Meg Cabot. Uh, and so that's when I wrote Psych Major Syndrome, which is a YA romance. So it's still romance. It's just YA romance. And then I um, actually, I think one of the things that got me to write adult romance again was that I wrote during my kind of fallow period where I was writing a lot, but I wasn't getting anything published. I wrote a YA novel about a girl who um, it's like the summer after high school and her dad just died and she wants to make this film and she gets somehow I explain it in the book I'm not going to go into it but somehow she gets like this teen heartthrob to agree to be in her movie so I was thinking of it kind of like a Chad Michael Murray type person like who's just and he's got his own shit going on you know and so he's like okay I'll be in your movie um, and then as I was writing I, I thought of that book as being a YA romance but as I was writing it I kind of realized, I don't think that they should be together, actually. Like, I think that they love each other. And I think that they have this connection. Um, but they're both in such a tough place in their life that I just don't think that it's time for them to actually be together. Uh, and so then I got it into my head, which is so silly, because like, nobody wanted that book, right? But I was like, well, I know what I'll do. I'll write a sequel to that book that nobody wanted. That's like 10 years later. 
and it's them basically having their like second chance like they're now now it's the time for them to be together so i wrote that ended up being an adult romance and mm. i just had so much fun with that um and frankly i mean i the sex scenes like it's nice you know all of a sudden i'm like oh this is like leveled up from ya romance because there's all this extra stuff i can put in there um and so then i was kind of like yeah I, I i really like this and so i I don't know. I almost was kind of like, why did you turn your back on this? Like, why did you stop writing adult romance? So I was really excited to get back to it. Well, I'm glad you did come back to it because your books are, they're unique, but in the best possible way. And they're so much fun to read. Um, I do want to ask though, because you have had some great accolades, you know, you, you're a USA Today, you know, best selling author. You've had a Barnes and Noble exclusive edition. Like, what has been the most memorable moment of your career so far? Uh, well, very recently, like literally in the last couple weeks, um, the New York Times named With Love from Cold World one of their top 10 romances of 2023. And honestly, like that, I always kind of say that I, I don't always let myself celebrate things, which I sometimes think is like a bad trait because, you know, you should celebrate your accomplishments and enjoy the good moments while they're there. And then sometimes I think it's like, it's good. It's almost like healthy, like just, you know, move on and um, don't stop to think about that kind of stuff. But I have to admit, I celebrated that one. Like I was really excited about it and I felt really proud of it and I felt really good about it. Um, so yeah, that was definitely a big moment for me. Well, congratulations. That's incredible. And it's very Thank well you. deserved because like I said, this book is fantastic. I'm not, I'm really not a rereader. There's just, there's too many books that I have mm -hmm. to read and that I want to read. I just, I feel like I don't have time to go back and reread them, but I did reread, like I said, Cold World. Um, and it's, it's a really, really good book. So oh, congratulations. That's very well deserved. I'm so happy for you. Now, going back to uh, Love in the Time of Serial Killers. Like I mentioned, it's such a unique and refreshing concept. You know, it's basically a PhD candidate who's obsessed with true crime um, and all that stuff that kind of comes along with it. And you talked about how you uh, you used to be, you know, very into true crime. So how did that really come to play? Like, why did you pick, you know, she moves in next door to this guy and she's all paranoid because it could be, you know, he could be this, this huge serial killer. And like, how did the novel itself how did the idea and the characters kind of come come about? Um, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I always kind of just generally had this idea for, you know, somebody who's really into true crime and then how would they fall in love and what would that look like? And I never fully kind of knew how to write that book until I actually thought of the title. Um, so I just thought of the love in the time of serial killers. And then it kind of, I don't know, something just clicked into place. and I kind of knew it better and one thing I really had to figure out was Sam the love interest and uh for me a lot of what made him come together for me was once I realized that he almost has to be like the least scary guy possible like he's so nice and he's so just like um just kind of a typical guy like he just you know he's a music teacher he wears his little khakis he's like he's just a nice guy um, and for somebody who's very paranoid, that is kind of like your worst nightmare because you're like, you just can't be that nice. I just don't trust you that you're that nice. Um, and so I thought that that would be really fun to play with. It's just like, you know, he's doing the most banal stuff. Like he could not be more boring in a way. Like he's just like trying to mow his lawn or whatever. And she's just losing her mind about what he could possibly be up to. Uh, and then one of the tricky parts about writing the book is at some point you have to drop it because you know obviously 
if it's going to be a romance, you want her to eventually trust him enough that you can, you know, kind of buy that she would go over to his house and she would, you know, spend time alone with him and all that. So I kind of, you know, had fun with that idea for, you know, the first uh, 60, 70 pages or so. And then I just had to, you know, kind of let them actually get to know each other and actually care about each other. And of course, a big thing about Phoebe and her character is that she thinks that she's so tough and so like mistrusting and I don't want love and I don't need love, but she's really not, you know, and that's part of her journey in the book is that she has to kind of realize that about herself, that this story that she's been telling herself about, I'm so prickly, I'm so, you know, guarded, is not all the way true. You know, she has a lot more to offer than what she thinks she does. Now, in Serial Killers, you talked a little bit about it earlier, where an obsession with true crime, a lot of the times it comes with those thoughts of paranoia and mistrust, but you also have a lot of other really good themes in this book like mental health and how it affects that and like her relationship with her dad and self-doubt and did you know that you wanted to incorporate those things when you started writing or did they just kind of come naturally as you started writing Phoebe uh, a little bit of both I mean like her relationship with her dad was always going to be a very important part in the book and um you know a lot of it is just you know I think with with serial killers in particular, there's there's like it, it sounds weird to say, but there's like this toxic masculinity kind of like part to serial killers and and part of like what makes them so mysterious is it's just kind of that idea of like we almost like don't know what they're capable of or don't know what they're gonna do. And I was just thinking about how that's um that's true, obviously on a very extreme level with a serial killer, but it's kind of also true just with like men in your life sometimes, like your dad. Or sometimes it's like, I don't know what he's going to do and I don't know how he's going to react. And um, I feel like I have to be very careful around, you know, the way that I act or what I say or, um, you know, whether I set him off or not. And so, I don't know, maybe that's just my personal experience. But yeah, I think that there's a lot of um, parallels, I guess. And so to me, a lot of those things all went hand in hand. And with like, you know, mental health, I mean, yeah, like listening to a lot of true crime can make you very paranoid and stuff but at the same time there's also like it's not like if you're a well-adjusted person it has that effect on you do you know what I mean like there's a there's a intersection with your own mental health and your own like how well you've dealt with your own demons that I think can make that worse you know now with cold world it, it's also a very great concept you know, it's a there's a bookkeeper for Cold World. It's a tourist destination that's always a winter wonderland, despite it being located in Orlando, Florida. Now, how did you come up with this idea? Well, there is a so there's a winter park, and I'm actually I'm just gonna say it on this podcast. I'm very bitter about them right now at this exact moment because I bought tickets uh to go, which I don't think I should have to buy tickets to go because I'm giving them all this free advertising, to be honest. Um, but I bought tickets. And then my son hurt his foot. And so I wanted to transfer the tickets so that I could go another day. Um, but their ticket line is just not, they just don't answer the phone. So I never could transfer them within the window. So I'm actually quite bitter at this place right now. But there is a winter park in Florida, in Dade City, um, that I saw advertisements for. It opened November 2020, which if you think about it, is just like, why the fuck would you open a winter park in the middle of COVID? Like what a, what a choice that was. Um, but I remember seeing the ads for it and just, 
at first being like, what is this? This is wild. You can't have a winter park in the middle of Florida. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, that's really interesting though. Like, I wonder what that place is like. And so I was on the website a lot, you know, clicking around and just seeing, you know, different things about it. Like, for example, they have um, what they call the igloo, which is what I call the snow globe, which is like this little enclosed area with snow and stuff where everybody can play. So anyway, I had that, you know, in my mind when I started writing the book. And then just in general, I've always wanted to write a Christmas romance. I do think of Cold World as being a Christmas romance, even though I like to at least like hope that it kind of transcends that and that you can read it, you know, other times and it's not only a Christmas romance. Um, but to me, much like how While You Were Sleeping is like a very Christmas romance and yet I could watch it all year round. That's that's kind of how I think of Cold World. Uh, so yeah, definitely you pick the right time of year to reread it. So yeah, those were basically, and and then um, I have this in an essay in the back of the Barnes and Noble edition, but uh, the Paramore song, Hello Cold World, was a big inspiration to me. Like literally when that song came out, I started thinking about what would like a literal cold world look like. And so once the Snowcat Ridge place opened, I wasn't going to say their name because I wasn't going to give them any advertising, but that's what it's called. I wish they would answer their ticket line. Um yeah, once that all came about, I I kind of like put the story together in my head. Oh, I absolutely loved Asa and Lauren. And there's there's a certain scene that really, I don't know, it was just a really fantastically written scene. And it has to do when Lauren defends him to some family members um, about him being queer, because that's a very, you know, power, it's it's a very powerful scene and the relationship between him and his family is kind of this huge, you know, cloud that kind of hangs over him and his relationship um, for a large part of the book. But why did you choose to write about those kinds of family dynamics? Because unfortunately, I do think that that happens quite a bit still. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just like I said, the way it was written and how you handled it between the parents and his sister and Lauren and him it was just, it was such an incredibly well-written scene. And I'm just really interested to know why you chose to kind of go that route and talk about those things. Hmm. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, first of all, I, I said it at a baby shower because I just thought that, uh, I mean, it, it plot-wise, it makes sense because of, you know, his sister's having a baby and stuff. And also just on a personal level, I find baby showers like so stressful and I just always really like hate them. Um, I've had baby showers for my own kids. I've been to baby showers. I don't know why. I just find them to be so stressful. So that was the first thing was I was like, this is the scene. This is the place where this kind of thing happens. Um, to me, I guess like I feel like uh, I feel like there are a lot of, first of all, a lot of just like imperfect families. I think most of us probably have imperfect families in some way. And so that is just to me, like the representation of that is very common and I I always like it when I see it in books because it's like yeah we don't all have these giant happy families where everybody gets together for Christmas and everybody's having a great time um there's there's usually like weird dynamics at play you know in some way and the other thing I thought about is that you know part of Asa's whole storyline through the whole book is that he seems so carefree and especially to Lauren who's like so uptight and so just like always very rigid and worried about like doing the right thing and she's just very controlled to her she sees asa for a lot of the book is like oh he's so carefree he's such a joker he doesn't care about anything he's you know and it, and it bothers her um and it, it also she's like 
low-key kind of jealous like I wish I could be that way I wish I could be as just like loose as he is and one thing that she really learns about him the more that she gets to know him is that a lot of that is like a mask it hides a lot of stuff and he's just as lonely and fucked up as she is in a way he just hides it better um and so for for that scene I thought it was important that you know she kind of she really sees like it all drops you know she sees Asa with his family she sees how much pain it's put him in and that's part of why she defends him because she's just you know she loves him at this point she really cares about him and she doesn't like seeing him that way um and the other the other factor about the scene that was important to me is that I think that there are a lot of family dynamics where it's all good as long as you don't talk about it you know it's kind of like as long as you don't put your sexuality in my face or your identity or whatever then we can be good and we can like we can have our baby showers and we can have our Christmases and we can you know everything can be great and that's really tough you know it's tough to feel like well okay so I can only be part of this family and and be at Christmas if I don't talk about my girlfriend or I don't talk about my boyfriend or I don't talk about you know I'm you know transitioning or I don't you know whatever it is like um and that's one thing that Issa says a couple times too, where he says he kind of knew right when his dad found out uh, that he was bisexual, that he could have like played it off and been like, oh, you know, the person who said that they saw me kissing a guy is like lying and that's not me. And that his dad would have been like, okay. And they would have moved on and everything would have been fine. Um, and then again, when he shows up with Lauren to the baby shower, you know, he's in at this point now a straight presenting couple. So he also has an opportunity to be like, it's all good. You know, I'm with a woman, which is what you've always wanted. And we can just not talk about my identity and just pretend that this is a heterosexual couple and we can all be good. But that's not, that's just not good. That's not what he wants. That's not what he deserves. You know, he deserves to be seen as his full self. Um, and so I think that's one thing I really like about Asa's characters. I think it's very brave of him kind of from you know, the age of 18 to kind of make that choice and be like, no, like, I want to be who I am. And I don't want to hide that. And I'm, I'm going to talk about it. And if it makes you uncomfortable, or you don't like it, then fine, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. It did. And it's such a good book. There's so many different parts in this book that are just, like I said, they're so well written, and they're so well thought out. And like the impact of certain moments is really big and it's you were talking a little bit about how you hope it's not just like a Christmas romance and like in my brain it's it's a romance like there's books where I'm like okay that is a Christmas romance but Cold World is a romance that just happens to take place during Christmas if that makes sense and it's mm -hmm. just it's it's such it's such a good book it's such oh. a good book and thank you for writing it because there are there are some things in there that the characters deal with um whether it's lauren whether it's asa that i feel like people are going to resonate with you know the different mm -hmm. things that happen to them so just thank you for writing that book it's it's chef's kiss it's such a good book i highly recommend oh. it to anyone who's listening who hasn't read it now your next book the art of catching feelings is out in july so where are you in that process and can you tell us a little bit about that book yeah, it's actually out June 18th, uh, June. 2024. Yeah. My computer June, light. And it is, well, I, it, the pub date <laughs> changed a couple times. Um, I don't even remember all the pub dates over over the time because it's been shifted a few times. Um, 
it's actually on NetGalley right now, which I'm only mentioning because it just happened. And I was like, oh, holy shit, here we go. Um, yeah, it is a baseball romance. It is about a professional baseball player, uh, Chris Kepler, who is going through quite a lot. He is not having the best season or the best year. Um, I'll give a content warning for, you know, having a loved one die by suicide because that's part of his story is that he just lost his brother. And so he's like really grieving that, but he really doesn't want to talk about it. Like he does not want even the team to know about it. He doesn't want to talk about it. Um, and of course he's like very much one of those guys who's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm doing great. I'm fine. I'll just play ball. I'm just, I'm keeping my head down. I'm playing ball. And then he, um, her, her story is that, so she is, uh, freshly divorced. So she's also kind of going through it and having a bad year. Just, I guess I always write about characters going through it because that's just very relatable to me personally. Um, and so she goes to one of his games. She doesn't even care about baseball, uh, but she gets pretty drunk because she's, you know, freshly divorced and trying to live a little bit. And she starts heckling him uh, and she makes him cry. And of course, like he's crying partially because of, you know, not even partially, like mostly because of all this other stuff he's got going on. But all she sees is like, oh, my God, like I just made him cry. So she reaches out to him to basically to DM him to say, like, I'm sorry but she does a really shitty job of it. And she doesn't actually say, I'm the one who heckled you. It just kind of sounds like she's saying like, I'm generally sorry. Uh, and so he starts DMing back with her and they start talking and, you know, um, so it's got like a little bit of like a semi-anonymous, you know, epistolary, like you've got male type element to it where, you know, he knows, he, she knows who he is, but he doesn't know who she is while they're DMing. Um, yeah. And then, you know, they end up like also like working together in person and then they, you know, fall in love in person. But then she doesn't know, like, what's he going to do when he finds out that I'm also the person who was DMing with him. And anyway, it's I really love this book. I'm really excited about it. Uh, <laughs> it sounds so good. It sounds so good. You've got mail like that kind of esque. That trope it's... is that trope is like my it's. It, it is my Roman Empire. Like, I love it. Any book that has, like, a semi-anonymous or anonymous, um, like, text exchange, email exchange, whatever, I'm trash for it. I'll read it in a heartbeat. It's so good because I could go into this and, it, you know, we could take hours talking about different tropes and stuff. But, like, that part of this book and I'm in, like, my sports romance phase, too. And so, oh, yeah. like, a baseball romance. Oh, my God. I'm so I love excited baseball. for this book. I love baseball. And honestly, like it was so fun to write because I just put all the stuff I love about baseball just right into it. And it, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. And I, um, this is me being kind of a nerd, but like I, I treated the baseball stuff in this book so seriously. Like I know the team's record at any moment, the book, tra it tracks like a 2024 season, like perfectly. Like I could tell you the game. I could tell you the date. I could tell you who they were playing. I could, you know, and that's, that's just amazing. for me. But I had a lot of fun with it. I also put a little um, like logic puzzle in it, kind of, because I basically replaced one of the MLB teams with my fictional team. And I mention every other team at least once in the book, either by the city name, the team name, or an iconic player from that team. So again, this is just for me because I'm a nerd, but you could figure out which team I replaced if you just like did the little logic puzzle of like which one does not get mentioned. Well, I'm immediately after this interview, I'm immediately going to go try and download it off NetGalley or at least request it. 
And now that I know that though, because I love logic puzzles, like I love them. And knowing (laughs) that now going in, I'm going to have my freaking notebook, right? Like as I'm reading, okay, she talked about this one. Okay. She talked about this one and I am totally going to try and figure out which team it is. That's so cool. I love when authors do that. Like those little Easter egg things where, like you said, you're like, it's just for me, but it's in there if anyone there's wants a to. ton of easter eggs in this book like honestly like like baseball easter eggs of just like little moments that i love or think about like there's petty easter eggs like just little petty things that because to me one of the things i love about baseball is i think it's like one of the pettiest sports and i don't think people appreciate that enough about it um so yeah i'm i'm very excited about this book I'm I am very like i was excited anyways when i saw that you were coming out with another book but now knowing what i know I'm very, very excited for this book. Um, One thing I did want to ask, because you've had this career where, like you said, you did YA romance back in 2009. Um, You know, you did children's books. You've done adult, several adult romances now. How has your writing and your storytelling changed over the years? Because obviously, like from what you wrote, oh my God, what? 13, 14 years ago, I don't even know how long ago that was now, to now, like people change and they develop both as writers and as people. You know, your experiences, your life has developed and changed. How has your writing and your storytelling reflected that and how has that kind of changed? It's mm, a really good question. Um, you're a very good interviewer, by the way. I was just thinking about that Thank you. As, Thank as we you. were talking. Like, you're very good at what you do. Thank um, you. Because you asked the tough ones, because like, this is a really good question, but it's it's really tough. I mean, I like to just think I've gotten to be a better writer, just in general, like, you know, more precise, better with my word choice, you know, whatever. There's like, I, I can't go back and read that first YA. It, it's a little hard for me to every once in a while, like if I if I just open it up and I look at something, sometimes I'm kind of like, oh, that joke is still funny. Like that still hits. Like, look at me, you know, look at me go. But other times it's just like, no, I I could write so much better than that now that it's hard for me to read it um I think in general and to me it's kind of interesting how like some of this just gets almost like inside of you as you're writing and so you don't even consciously think about it but I think it comes out and it just gets better I think I'm a lot better now at thinking kind of thematically I guess where I kind of do have in mind you know like kind of what the character's journey is not just on a personal level but like what are the broader implications of that you know um like even some people like tell me with cold world for example they'll be like oh you put all this like really clever little stuff in there about like hot and cold there's all these like little thematic things about hot and cold and some of that stuff I was like I didn't even really know I was doing that I was just you know uh and so it's it sometimes it's easy to be like oh I'm not a very good writer then because I didn't like think about that consciously but I think that that is the stuff that comes with experience is that you're kind of putting more into your books that it's like more intuitive, you know? And so you're not even like overthinking it. It's just kind of going into there. Um, and that's something that I I do think I'm, you know, better with the more that I write. Now, I do want to ask because the last, you know, including Catching Feelings, which is coming out in June, not July. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these last three are romances. Do you ever see yourself writing something other than romance? Or do you, for the foreseeable future, do you think that you've really kind of developed your art as a storyteller and just your love of these kinds of books in general like do you think you're going to stay kind of in the romance the romance world um I love romance so I definitely think that for the foreseeable future that would be my primary focus but uh I recently so last year 
last year oh my god jesus christ i mean to say two months ago it just feels like so long ago literally it's like last year i'm already in 2024 and i'm already like last year no like two months ago like eight weeks ago i got really into sylvia Moreno garcia and i was reading like every single thing she's ever written uh she came to speak um locally here in tampa and so i just went on a deep dive and one thing i found very inspiring about that it actually really kind of like, I don't know, broke something in my brain because I was like, she's writing so many different things. Like if you read her books, like there's a common thread. I can tell it's Sylvia, it's her. And yet, you know, some of them are horror. Some of them are more romantic. Some of them are historical. Some of them are speculative fiction. So like there's, there's all these different things that she's doing. And I just found that very inspiring. And I have to admit that I had never thought that I could do that. You know, I always kind of like, I don't know, just kind of thought of myself as like, well, I write romance and that's kind of what I like to do. Um, and it wasn't really until I started reading all these different Sylvia Moreno Garcia books, not that I'm comparing myself to Sylvia. I want to be very clear, but it, I don't know, it opened something up for me where I was like, that'd be really interesting actually to write like a mystery or to write, you know, something speculative or like, I don't know, all of a sudden I was like, I, I think that'd be really fun. I'd like to do that someday. I will say that uh, serial killers it, definitely at least like in the beginning you definitely get a bit of that though where it's you know that it's a romance book and that obviously they're going to figure stuff out but there's that element because of what it's based around you know with uh true crime there's some of that mystery like okay is he really like what's what are his motives you know is she mm -hmm. really paranoid like is she paranoid for a good reason or not so you've already started doing that see you've already started it yeah and and i love i read anything like i'll read anything I'm a promiscuous reader is what I always like to say and so as far as I'm concerned you know it it would be I don't know it'd be really interesting and really fun to kind of go into different genres so let's transition to our end of interview questions your answers can be as long as you want they do not need to be rapid fire what is your favorite genre to read like if you could only because I know you just said you're a promiscuous reader which I really <laughs> like that promiscuous reader if you could only pick one genre to read for the rest of your life what would it be I mean it would have to be romance romance that would that would be hard for me because I do genuinely really love a lot of other genres but um if I could never read romance again I would be deeply sad so I'd have to pick that one now why are you such a fan of romance like not from the writing perspective but as a reader because I know why I love romance um it's it's nice to know that no matter what is going on in my personal life, no matter what is going on in the book that I'm reading, like these two are going to find their happy ending. They're going to end up together and it's going to end on a good note. And like I said, no matter what's going on in my personal life, I know that I'm going to get that happy ending. So I'm interested because I feel like from a writer's point of view, it might be a little bit different like with you as a reader. So as a reader, why do you like romance? Why are you drawn to romance? Yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, I find it very comforting because you know that it's going to end up well. And that is something that, you know, it's not like I don't read books that have sad endings or whatever, but there is just something so nice and cozy and warm and just, you know, the world's a cold place. And then you can open up this romance book and it just gives you all the warm feelings. Um, so I love that. And I love, you know, one criticism sometimes I see of romance that I I just don't particularly I guess, put a lot of stock in. And sometimes um, people who are really into, say, like sci-fi or like Marvel movies or, you know, war films or whatever, 
are kind of like the stakes are so low because we don't have anybody like saving the world. We don't have anybody. To me, the way I feel about romance is the stakes could not be higher because finding that person, you know, who really understands you and who gets you and who cares about you and um, who gives you all the butterflies and like that to me, like there's literally no stake higher than like a human connection, I guess, like than having somebody who you care about, who cares about you back. And I, I just love all those little moments in a romance novel, like all the little, like the meet cute and the little touches that mean a lot or do they, and they're thinking about them. And then, you know, the unreadable expression on his face. And what, what does that mean? Like, what is he thinking? Like, I just, I don't know. It gives me all the butterflies. I just love all that stuff. Um, so that's why romance is kind of a go-to for me. I like, I like that point of view. I'm gonna remember that. I like that when I explain to people, because it's true. It is high stakes because it's your, it's the person's heart. And like you said, that other person finding that connection and that is high mm -hmm. stakes. I don't care what anyone else says. That is high stakes. Right. Well, and I always say too, like, there's a reason, for example, why those Marvel movies put a romantic subplot in. It's frankly to give it more stakes because mm -hmm. saving the world while it seems very high stakes, it's hard to like wrap your head around it in a way, you know, whereas like, yeah, but the world also includes this person that they love. Okay. Like I get it, you know, now I, I want that world to be saved. And so I, yeah, I just think it's um very important. Like I think romance is actually very important. I like that. Now, if you could write one trope that you haven't written already, what would it be? I'm dying to write fake dating. I think fake nice. dating is so I love fun. Fake dating. It's so fun. It is. There's just so many things you can do with it. And if it's if it's done well, like literally I could have three books where the fake dating thing, like how they get into it is the same, like it starts out the same. But if it's well written, I don't care. It's I don't it care. can go yeah. so many ways and it's just it's such a good trope. So it makes me happy. Fake dating, can, fake dating can get a little bit bonkers and I love it. I'm like, absolutely. Yeah, you have to kiss. You have to. You have to. You can't right. not kiss. Right. Yeah. And I don't <laughs> I don't care. I don't care how like much that really doesn't make any sense. I'm here for it. Exactly. Now, what are you currently reading and what is on your TBR list this month? Uh, Let's see. What am I currently reading? Well, I've been listening to the same audiobook about the Koch brothers for about a billion years, and it is so fucking boring. I can't. I have to stop. Um, I don't. I don't know why. I love like dry nonfiction in my ears. There's something about like a dry nonfiction audiobook that I love, but this is too dry. I can't do it. I just finished. Uh, I'm gonna mess up the title. It's like Home Run for the Holidays or something like that by Pris. Priscilla Oliveris. Um, and it's like a cute, like holiday novella. I'm definitely in my, you know, Christmas reading era. I just read Holiday Romance by Catherine Walsh. I read it on a plane, which the whole book is about like these characters who have been friends for 10 years and every year they meet um, when they fly home to Ireland to see their families. And so it's, it's friends to lovers, but like with all these like flashbacks to all these different flights. So I didn't even like plan it that way, but just to read it on a plane during Christmas time, I was like, hell yeah, you're you're doing this right. Like you're doing it was meant to be. Right. It was yeah, meant to be. I was so excited about the serendipity of that. Um, so that's some of what I've been reading lately. And then on my TBR, I'm I'm okay, I'm very torn because I'm very uh 
I take my Goodreads goal way too seriously. I wrote that right into the book with Lauren. That is definitely me. I know it's arbitrary. I know I did it to myself. I know it does not matter. I know reading is not homework. And yet, if I don't make my goal, I'm going to fucking lose my mind. So with that in mind, I am trying to read a lot of holiday novellas because, frankly, they help pad my numbers. And they're also very good for um just this time of year so I have a risk worth taking by Jessica Joyce uh who's one of my good friends and a beautiful writer and she very helpfully just for me wrote a little short holiday novelette um not just for me you can find it on Amazon I was like she needs I was like she needs to share that no no I just I I like to think it's just for me because it's exactly what I want and exactly what's going to help pad my numbers and then the other thing that I get very anxious about and again this is a personal problem but um I don't like to have books in my house that I haven't read but of course I get a lot of books and so it's just it's a never-ending cycle so my other goal is to try to read some of the books that I have sitting around that I have not read yet or gotten to yet um, and I have a couple of arcs that I have received recently that I'm especially excited to dive into. Uh, How to End a Love Story by Yulin Kwong is um, coming out next year. And then uh, The Kiss Countdown by Etta Easton. They both have lovely uh, pink covers. And I have them both sitting on my desk right now. And I'm very excited to read them. Um, yeah. Very nice. Well, I'm definitely writing those down when I edit, I know I'm going to make a whole list because that's one of my favorite parts about doing these interviews is I get all these recommendations. Not that I don't already have way too many books that I've uh, bought that I haven't read, (laughs) but I always need more recommendations. I know I'm always, I I feel terrible because I'm always like, you know, give me Rex or I want more books like this or whatever. And then I'm like, but Alicia, you are already overwhelmed by the books you haven't read yet. And in fact, you're giving interviews about the psychic weight of these books and why are you doing this yourself? But there's just too many good ones. There are. There's, I don't, don't want to many. miss out. I don't want to miss exactly. out. Exactly. Exactly. Now, what is the most valuable piece of advice you've ever received in regards to your writing? Um, I mean, it's kind of like the, it, it's like such standard advice that it, it almost is like, it almost feels like why even say it again and yet is helpful to me to hear every single time, which is that you just have to sit down and get started. I find like that's that's the hardest part. If you just actually sit down and actually get started, it turns out it's a lot like it flows a lot better than you think it's going to. I definitely just build it up in my head. So I sit around all day and I think about like, I'm going to write, I'm going to write. Um but then it just feels like such a big task to take on. And then the minute I'm actually actively writing, I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. Look at me go. <laughs> so hey, this is uh, bad. Yeah. So anytime that anybody's ever told me, basically just like sit down and just 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 write it. Just write it. It's just the first draft. You can fix it later. I also don't like that because I don't like my first drafts to be anything less than perfect. But it is helpful advice to hear. And I I'm glad you said that because. I've had several authors who have said they're also like that, where they don't, where they want their first draft to be good. They don't want it mm-hmm. to be the typical, okay, this is shit, but it just needs to get on the page. It makes me happy that established authors like you are also <laughs> like that. And it's not just me. Oh, it's, it's just definitely not just you. Definitely not just you. And that is the thing I try to remind myself is like, there's such a joy and an accomplishment when just in finishing so I try to kind of like get through that draft to be like, you just want to feel that. Just let yourself feel that. That feeling of like, 
hell yeah, this is 95,000 words and it's done. And at least a draft of it, I can say I've completed. I also, this is what I personally do. I've actually been writing today. I've been trying to focus a lot on it. I keep this like notebook because one thing I use it for everything. I literally, I write like character sketches in it. I keep track of schedules. I write like how many words I want to get done that day. I keep track of like my sprints and how many words I accomplish each sprint. And then every 1000 words, I give myself a sticker for a little reward. I write the word count. And then I write like a quote that I really like from the section I just wrote. And then I, I, like I, I yeah. And then I write some like little notes of just like reflections on like, how do I think it's going? What, what am I feeling right now? You know? And then I write like what's coming up next. And there's something about that that I really like. I like checking in every thousand words. It it feels like a reward. It feels like a little, um, like a benchmark to get to, like a little checkpoint, almost like in a video game. It's like a little checkpoint to, you know, stop. And I really like the notes because I kind of can write like, I'm spinning my wheels here a little bit. You know, what's the point of this scene? What am I trying to do? And just like check in and see where I'm at. And then the next section helps me because it's like, I don't really outline. I'm kind of a pantser, but I kind of have it like in my head. And it helps me just to think like, okay, where am I going after this scene? What am I trying to write to? So anyway, keeping that notebook um, helps me quite a lot. And that was advice I got from, I think Alexander Chi wrote a an essay about keeping a writer's notebook. And that's where I got the idea. I really like that. I'm going to have to do that. Now, if you weren't an author, what do you think you would be doing for work? Be um, anything well, in the world. Money didn't matter. Education didn't matter. Experience didn't matter. Anything in the world. Uh, so it's funny. I used to always want to be a therapist. And that's what I went to college with in mind. That I was going to be a therapist. And now um, I actually have several friends who are therapists. And I don't know, man, if I could do it. Like, uh, it's a lot. It's just a lot. Um, and then I worked for a long time as a legal assistant, a paralegal. And that was an okay job. But since you're allowing me the chance to think of anything, I'm not going to just say my boring old job. Um, I don't know. I probably would just be a teacher. I really do love teaching. I like that answer. It's a good answer. I have yeah. a lot of people in my family who are teachers. So I, I appreciate that. I like that answer. Now, if you could invite any person over for dinner, dead or alive, who would you invite? Hmm. Uh, any person over for dinner, I, and you sent me these questions ahead of time. I want to point that out to everybody that you sent these <laughs> ahead of time because you're a very good interviewer and that's what a good interviewer does. And I even had time to think about this question and yet still I get a little stumped when I'm actually on the spot. So part of me like wants to, I don't know if I'm allowed to do like two for the price of one, but um, Absolutely. I would totally have dinner with Tegan and Sarah. I actually had a dream the other night that uh, we were best friends. And so that's just in my mind. And I feel like we could be best friends. Um, I would love to just chat with them about their career and music and uh, everything that they've kind of experienced. I think that'd be really cool. Now, if you could invite any fictional person over for dinner, and it can be someone from your books if you want it to be, who would you invite? Mm. Um, I do think it'd be really fun to have dinner with Asa. I think he'd be, I think he'd be a blast. Uh, I would really like to just chat with him and get to know him. Um, yeah, I mean, God, so many great characters. Asa would yeah, be a I'll good one. He would be a lot of fun. 
I'll just stick with that because literally, so just to give you like insight into my brain right now, my brain is like literally like cycling through all these romances that I love. Like I was thinking about Georgie all along. I was thinking about The Art of Scandal. I was thinking about The Prospects, which is out next year from KT Hoffman. Um, I'm just thinking about all these characters and I kind of just want to have like dinner with all of them, like Ben and Alexi from um, Something Wild and Wonderful by Anita Kelly. But at some point I'm throwing a giant dinner party. And so, yeah, I'll just, I'll just go with Asa. I'd love to have dinner with him. So you can have a private dinner with Asa and then you'll just have to throw a huge like banquet dinner and just invite everyone from all those books. Absolutely. It It totally counts. It works. Now, where is a place that you haven't visited that you would like to both domestically in the U.S. and internationally? Uh, so in the U.S., I I think it'd be really cool to go to New Mexico. It just always looks really pretty in pictures. And yeah, it just seems like a really cool place. I've been to like um, like Zion National Park and Bryce Canyon. So I've been like in that general area, but I always thought New Mexico would be really cool or like Alaska would be really neat. Uh internationally i would love to go to amsterdam um i'm a big fan of anne frank and anne frank's diary and i've always wanted to go to the anne frank house it's like probably my top bucket list destination is to go to the anne frank house one day and just in general it's a beautiful city i will say that it is one of the most unique cities i've ever been to it has such a personality and it's so uniquely itself if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense it's such a cool city and I highly, highly recommend, obviously, you already know you want to go, but like if anyone else goes to Amsterdam, do the Anne Frank tour because it's it's heartbreaking, but it's incredible to see and to mm-hmm. learn. And like my dad, I went, my dad's like my favorite travel partner, and we went to um, several countries a couple years ago, and, and uh, the Netherlands was one of them. And like, I read Anne Frank when I was a little kid, like I grew up knowing about Anne Frank and my dad really didn't, like he knew generally who she was. And my dad is this six, like six foot two guy. And for him to walk through like the back rooms and it's just, I don't know, there's an impact that you get actually walking through and seeing where they lived and the space that they lived in. And then to Mm. be in those back rooms where they lived and to hear the same bells from the church that she heard like it's it's an incredible but devastatingly heartbreaking thing and i highly highly yeah. highly recommend no it's, i mean i it's incredible i feel like i probably need to spend like two weeks there one week to like go to museums and restaurants and just you know walk along the canal and do all that kind of stuff and then a day to go to the Anne Frank house and then six days to just like lie in my bed and stare at the ceiling and like think about it or something. Because yeah, I I can imagine it's like incredibly meaningful. And honestly, Anne Frank um, was very crucial to me being a writer. Like her diary is just, it's very important to me. And I think, I mean, obviously it's a very tragic story and there's a lot that we learn about it. Just, you know, learning about the Holocaust and stuff like that. But I also think she's just such a beautiful writer. And as a kid, I was really inspired by just her diary. And I had like a collection of her short stories that they put together and like, just, I don't know her, how observant she was, how clever she was, how, um, I don't know. Yeah. She's probably one of the most formative people to me, like as a writer. She was quite the individual 
Like you said, Mm -hmm. she was clever. She was smart. She was very well written and very articulate. And she, uh, she really, she really was an incredible person. So if I, I hope you get to go soon and I hope you get to do that because it really is, it's worth every penny. Um, now what is currently after that, (laughs) after we just talked about that, (laughs) what is currently bringing you joy? Oh, what is bringing me joy? What a nice question. Um, well, I've been, so on Instagram, I've been posting my Goodreads reviews of books where I I review books. I always five-star them and I give them a shouty cap, you know, all capital letters review uh, where I just yell about what excited me about the book. And that has been giving me a lot of joy, just like people's reactions and like hearing like, you know, books that people read and um you know, what they thought of them and stuff. And I, I truly, I know it's like almost cheesy to say, especially as an author, but I do truly believe like the way that we can connect over books is really beautiful. And it does give me a lot of joy. Um, and then my family and I have been watching the ultimate Beastmaster on Netflix. And it's just, it's just a lot of fun to watch these people competing and to like all like root for them. And I don't know, get very invested in like, who's going to go forward to the final level. And uh, I don't know, it's just fun just good wholesome family fun I love that well thank you so much Alicia for being here it was an absolute honor I'm so excited that I got to got to talk to you again after we met at Steamy LitCon um so just thank you honestly so much from the bottom of my heart for being here I appreciate it oh yeah thank you I really appreciate you inviting me that's it for our first interview of this episode so let's dive into our second My next guest is also a USA Today bestselling adult romance author and playwright, and her debut, Forget Me Not, released earlier this year. Her second book, Not Another Love Song, is out in July from Forever Publishing. Originally from Sacramento, she spent many years bouncing back and forth between New York and California, and now spends her days writing rom-coms and young adult thrillers, and spends her nights falling asleep to Pride and Prejudice 2005 in the background. A theater and fandom nerd, her musical Generation Me, won the 2017 New York Musical Festival's Best Musical Award, as well as Best Book for her work on the script. Please welcome Julie Soto. Well, welcome, 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 Julie. I am so freaking excited to talk to you about Forget Me Not and the stuff that you have coming up. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Megan. I'm so glad to be here. Absolutely. I had the honor of meeting you at Steamy LitCon in August. So Mm -hmm. thank you for letting me harass you at your booth. And then it was continuously great. over email. <laughs> so thank you for being here. This is fabulous. This actually, we scheduled this a while ago and my Google calendar or whatever keeps glitching. And so whenever I say, yes, accept the meeting, it comes back up. Would you like to have this meeting? I'm like, stop it. <laughs> so yes, I would. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this day for many reasons. One of which is to talk to you, but a smaller reason is uh, to stop that alert. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. And I uh, I get it. There was another interview I had scheduled through a publicist. And for whatever reason, my calendar glitched as well. And it kept changing the, um, like, because I'm Pacific Standard Time and they mm-hmm. were Eastern Standard Time. And it kept glitching and it kept changing. And so I had to change it like three or four times and it kept sending him emails. And I'm like, Josh, I'm so sorry. Like, this is the correct time. Just completely ignore that um so I'm glad that this will finally get that off your calendar (laughs) yeah it's hey going into 2024 clean yeah right exactly 
So let's start out with the question I like to start every interview off with is why did you want to become a writer and how did it happen? Yeah, I so I started in theater ever since I was six or seven years old. So I consider myself a storyteller, if I may be so bold. Um, <laughs> so I would say that I you know, wanting to be a writer came much later in life, but uh, I've always wanted to be an actress. I was a playwright for a period of time. I, um, you know, started writing in fan fiction about six years ago. And when I was writing in fan fiction, it was really clear that this was another medium that I wanted to play with. Um, and so the decision to kind of pursue writing professionally kind of grew out of the confidence I gained in fandom and uh, the people that I met, including Ali Hazelwood, Thea Guanzon, um, the people who are all amazingly talented, well-known writers now, which is great that we're all getting our, get, getting our moment in the sun. <laughs> so how was it going through this process with people who started in the same realm as you and who also came up uh through traditional public like how was that being able to have people that knew the the journey that you were kind of going on yeah it's incredibly supportive um which most you know most writing relationships really should be because it's not the writers and the books that are competing it's you know it's the businesses behind them that compete so um i would say uh having Allie as a close friend has been so influential um, for me with the the things she can tell me to to look into, to avoid, to to do more of, and um, even do less of. She's I, I love that she told me early on. She's like, don't even worry about TikTok. It exists for you to be tagged, <laughs> and that's that's all you need to do with it. Um, so uh, between you know. Kate Goldbeck is another one too, who wrote You Again. And uh, Kate and I, our books came out within a month or two of each other. So we were able to kind of go through a lot of things at the same time, which was really great too. That's gotta be so cool to not only be a part of a group like that, where you guys have kind of come up together, but also see these incredible women who write these incredible stories succeed. Like that's yeah. gotta be such a cool feeling to see all of you guys just kick ass. And I've read Hurricane Wars. I've read you again. I've obviously read Allie's books, like, and they're all phenomenal. So whatever you guys have been doing, <laughs> the Kool-Aid <laughs> is pretty good over here. Yeah. <laughs> it is fantastic. Yeah. And you said that you started in fan fiction, right? Mm -hmm. Writing. What kind of fan fiction did you write? I started in Harry Potter with Draco and Hermione. And then, Very nice. yeah. And then I met all of those ladies through Raylo which is Star Wars, Kylo Ren, and Rey. Um, so that's where all of us met. Um, and so many Raylos have gone on to publish in traditional publishing and self-publishing. And I think a lot of Dramione authors are kind of, people are seeing, oh, fan fiction writers know how to write. Isn't that interesting? And uh, they're kind of crossing over in to see what other fandoms, um, you know, might have some undiscovered talent, which is really nice. Now, why romance specifically? You know, for me, I, 
that's an interesting question for me because there uh there are other genres that I want to write in and um I think for me when it came to adapting uh my second book which comes out this summer is a fanfic that I adapted so it it and that fanfic is suited much more for the genre of romance than any other genre so um I'd say that it's a natural transition for a lot of fan fiction authors to write in romance because I think because the um, sexual freedom in fan fiction, posting fan fiction is much more prevalent than in traditional publishing sometimes. It's almost closer to like self-publishing in terms of like the the freedom, the the number of chili peppers, the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the things that are, that are kind of poked at and talked about. Um, so to transition into writing romance, I think a lot of us just have been sharpening those smut skills for years and years on the internet. Um, so I think, I think that's, that's why a lot of the, the fan fiction people are writing romance, but then there's also, you know, Thea is doing fantasy romance. And um, I was thinking of Sarah Holly and Jenna Levine, who are both also Raylos, but are writing, um, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd call them cozy romance, but like my roommate is a vampire and a, a witch's guide to fake dating a demon mm -hmm. and has a uh, fan fantasy elements in the room. It's paranormal romance type stuff. So it also lends itself to that when you're in those kinds of fandoms that have those fantastical elements. And all of those books are so freaking good. They're so I'm good. You guys, I'm telling you, whatever you guys are doing, Keep yeah. freaking doing it because all yeah. of all of the books you have talked about I've read <laughs> and they are freaking fantastic. Yeah. Um, Katie Shepard is one more that I just wanted to mention because she's so good and she's also in that list. So she's fantastic. Yeah. Now, why open door romance? Why spicy romance? I know you said that fanfic yeah. gives you a little bit more freedom to explore that stuff. And as someone who does read spicy romance, I read smut. It makes me. I guess happy to see more and more books being open door because yeah. I feel like even five years ago, people didn't talk about those books. Like it yeah. was one of those, oh, I read those books, but I'm not going to talk about it. It's behind closed doors. And now, I mean, I work at Barnes and Nobles and I curate a romance table specifically for spicy romance. Spicy. And it makes me yeah. so happy to see it out and people talking about it. So why did you choose to go that route? Why didn't you yeah. choose to do kind of closed door romance? I think, I think it comes with the fact that the market has shifted like that. And that book talk has been so important in uplifting um, the idea of sexual freedom and women talking about what they want to read and wanting to share it with other women. And, um, and also being uh, so much more talk is and hopefully the conversation will get better but with um lgbtq plus voices and with bipoc voices as well and um trying you know and and sharing the stories that 
we want other people to read instead of it's a it's a dirty secret that I found on my aunt's bookshelf and I'm never going to tell anyone until I'm you know in college and I'm like did anyone else read (laughs) um (laughs) and I think that's that's the shift I think um you know I think uh, I think there are some I think there are some times where like you know that book talk will respond very positively to a super steamy book. Um, but at the same time, super popular, so a lot of super popular authors and books are closed door or like one sex scene and the sex scenes may be really good, but it's, you know, nowhere near what other romance books, um, you know, let's also get a lot of talk on TikTok get. So I think for me, because of my, my, you know, most of my fanfics are, are spicy. So I think that was just a, it's a, you know, it's weird to say, but it's, it's a talent. <laughs> um, so it was kind of like, well, why, why not um, flex those muscles and, and use your talent in um, the book. And of course there can be publishers that um, are not interested in what you're putting forth but at the you know at the current market they want what's hot on book talk you said it is a talent and i a hundred percent believe that because i have read some books i'm not gonna (laughs) say names where uh, the romance itself like in the sex scenes they are not great and it (laughs) it ruins the book to a degree and so when people write sex scenes well, mm. like it, I'm telling you, it's a freaking talent. So I am very impressed. And <laughs> oh my God, forget me not. <laughs> that book is amazing and steamy <laughs> and perfect and amazing. But I do want to ask, because like you mentioned, your second book is coming out, uh, Not Another mm-hmm. Love Song, in yes. July, I believe. Ah, mm-hmm. July. So spice level wise. Like, yeah. Yeah. Wh- zero to five chili peppers okay what would you rate forget me not and then what would you rate not another love song so i've seen some hilarious pepper reactions to forget me not which makes me truly wonder what kind of depravity is available to readers these (laughs) days if my book was one chili pepper um but that is of course subjective most people might even say like you know Hard kinks are a four chili pepper for me and anything that's like truly taboo is a five. So it's like, I understand where someone could get one chili pepper out of vanilla love scenes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, I would, I think I like to say that forget me not is three. I'll maybe go conservative and do 2.5. Um, 2.5 to three. And I think not another love song is a hard three. <laughs> like, nice. Okay. Yeah. A little more than forget me not, but we're not inching into the hard kink territory. <laughs> <laughs> the kink and taboo. Nice. Yeah. Now, how has the process been different between writing forget me not where you didn't have a contract necessarily, you know, you we're writing this as you were transitioning from fanfic to traditional publishing. And now that you have a contract, you know, there's got to be some differences in whether it's the writing process, the whatever process it is editing. So how has that kind of changed since your debut? Yeah, my 
my process is a little backwards actually because not another love song was written first so yeah because not another love song was a fanfic that I posted in 2019 I think 18 or 19 and um and so I so the first draft of it has existed for four years but um that's the book that I, I pulled down, I rewrote it. I, you know, stripped the star Wars out of it. I, you know, did, did a lot of work to it. And then I queried it and got my agent with not another love song. Um, yeah. And then in the meantime, my agent had to go on maternity leave immediately after signing me. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I'm glad she did because I said, well, let me just start playing with my with another book idea while you're on maternity leave in case you know in that in that way of like you know have your back start working on your backup project as your first project moves forward um and so that's when I wrote forget me not was in that kind of six month period she's from the UK so she got a nice maternity leave nice (laughs) nice Um, and so she she was out from like August to January and I turned in the revised draft to her January 1st. And we went out with Forget Me Not First because it was, we both decided it was slightly more commercial in the sense of everyone's been to a wedding, but not everyone has attended classical orchestra concerts, which is one of the, you know, settings of Not Another Love Song. So it would be more appealing to more people. And I'm so glad we did it that way um, because it's not that anything was wrong with Not Another Love Song. It just, it's a better book for people who already maybe trust the author um, and are like, I don't know what this is, this world's about, but let me, let me check. I like forget me not. (laughs) Well, I Um, completely, I completely trust you as a writer now. And (laughs) I'm telling you, as soon as I read forget me not, I was like, she could, she could write a cereal box and I would probably read it. Like I'm, I'm very excited. Thank you. Yeah. So that whole process of like now writing a book under contract, that's kind of what I'm going through now with uh, working on the next books. They're not like necessarily under contract yet, but you have to like start dreaming them up and start, uh, you know, beating them out and um, trying to, you know, create enough of uh enough of a hint as to what they are so that they want to buy another contract um for you so that's kind of been it's it's almost a harder process now than it was in you know a year ago working through forget me not and uh forget me not coming out and working on the edits for not another love song so it's definitely it's interesting because you have you have an idea of like what works and you've I've also read so many more romance books since starting it down this route so it's kind of like you you know what what you like and what you don't like and then that's all ringing in your head as you're creating like you know weird like the elevator broke you know <laughs> And you're like, ah, I hate it when the elevator breaks. But then you're like, well, but, you know, how do we trap them together? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, You know, and it's kind of like, I was just reading, um, 
I'm reading the uh, early copy of the new Christina Lauren, The Paradise Problem that's coming out this year, and it's so good. But um, it was funny. I was enjoy. I'm enjoying it. And then I, I like when I put it down to to go to bed, I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? This premise is extremely simple, but they're doing it in their style. So it's not simple. It's not overdone. It's not. And it's just so you get in your head about like, but like everyone's done fake dating and everyone's done coworkers. And you have to like try to put that away and be like, yeah, but how do I do coworkers? So. I was actually, I actually had an interview earlier today before this, and we were actually kind of talking about that, specifically fake dating, yeah. where it's like, it's such a simple premise, like fake dating. But if it's done right, there are so many different ways to evolve that into something that's fresh and unique and is just so good to read. And Christina Lauren does a fantastic job, I think, of yeah. taking tropes that romance readers specifically enjoy and putting their own spin on it to where it's so, you know, like I said, it's just, it's fresh and it's fun. Yeah. How did the idea, how did you come up with the idea for Forget Me Not specifically? Because like you said, you started writing that after you wrote Not Another Love Song. So how did that, how did that come about? So that's a funny story that's also related to fandom because when you're in fandom back when Twitter was Twitter and <laughs> not uh, not as, I don't know, a lot of us have moved off Twitter, I'll just say, right? Um, and so back in the good old Twitter days, um, there was a lot of like, specifically in fandom, people um, sharing like fic prompts, like, wouldn't it be funny if um, such and such happened at the end of that movie instead of this and then other and then like four people would be like I love that I'm gonna go away and write it and we're all gonna write the same fic and we're gonna come back and it'll be totally different on everyone and um, my friend Fran who is Galactic Idiots on uh, X I think she's still there um, she pitched this idea in Raylo about a wedding planner and a florist and so I wanted to take that and write a Raylo fic with it but even I started like one chapter I never posted it and as I was writing it I was like this has more legs like this could be and also specifically the amount of work I wanted to put in to actually like talk about weddings and talk about flowers and like things that I don't necessarily have expertise in it's just a lot of work <laughs> And not to say that I haven't done a lot of work on other fan fictions, but it seemed like the right project to start to focus uh, on original with. So technically, like the nugget of the idea came from, you know, fandom people prompting each other and throwing out wild ideas and, and playing with things. And then I took it and expanded it in... Um, I basically had in the back of my mind that that's what I wanted to do for an uh, upcoming book. So when it was time to let my agent be on maternity leave, um, that's the idea that I wanted to expand on. And uh, Fran is thanked in my acknowledgments and, uh, it, you know, go check her out. If there's any comedic Jane Austen tweets or memes that get like posted to Instagram, it's usually from her account. It's probably from her. Nice. Yeah. 
Now, in Forget Me Not, uh, Elliot is a, is the florist, and mm-hmm. Ama Ama is that how you say it? Ama? I say Ama because us Californians okay. are strange. <laughs> are you? We are. are. Are you in California? <laughs> You're on PST. I right am. Now, yeah. Yeah. I'm in the Central Valley. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is why I wanted to ask because I've heard Ama and I've heard Ama. Yeah. So and it's short for amaryllis right amaryllis yeah so that's 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 one of the only reasons why i think it's ama but you know (laughs) to each their own (laughs) to each their own yeah i told the audiobook narrator to say ama and that's 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 as far as i'll go you know (laughs) i like it so why did you choose to make elliot the florist who owns this floral shop and emma uh the wedding planner because i feel like in a lot of books like this the woman would be the florist the florist yeah so why did yeah. you choose to go the other route with Elliot I definitely wanted to you know some of it's definitely like flipping the standard like he could have been a caterer you know and it could have been the same uh storyline but I think I think the I mean a man owning a flower shop is just hot <laughs> and uh and I think it just came down to like how I wanted him to be, it, it really helped inform me how sensitive he was going to be. And it really helps with, you know, not to say that like a caterer couldn't be an artist in what he does, but like both Emma and Elliot connect with each other on the art and the artistry. And they have such a respect for each other uh, in, in that element that they share. So I think it really helped kind of piece together how they would relate to each other with um with him being a sensitive guy who who doesn't even like flowers either you know at the start he he doesn't like people he doesn't like flowers and he grows to like at least one of them by the end so (laughs) (laughs) and oh my god Elliot is so he's so he's so good that's how I'm going to word it for the podcast he is so freaking good and oh my god he he's just he chef's kiss like I don't know how to explain it and him being a florist and like he said being that more sensitive especially like he's he's tatted you know Mm -hmm. he has he he's all these things and he's oh my god he's so he's so good (laughs) thank you for writing him I love him (laughs) thank you for loving him yeah (laughs) and I can kind of see like with the Raylo stuff that Forget Me Not kind of came out of where um, Kylo Ren was the very grumpy, very stoic. Right. <laughs> but why did you choose to go that route with the grumpy sunshine with Emma and Elliot and have Elliot be the grumpy and uh, Emma be the sunshine? I think we I think we all love the um, grumpy sunshine trope when he's a grump. Um, and also he, what I like about him is that yes, the, the trope is, is in a generalized grumpy sunshine, but like, because we get his POV, I think you see that it's actually, um, anxiety and it's a lot of like, um, (laughs) he doesn't know what his face is doing. (laughs) Um, Wait, I've been there. Yeah. And he, and you know, he, he's always, he's never been easy to befriend and he doesn't, um, he had to stop caring what people thought about him a long time ago. Cause he was bullied and, you know, and just, and things that still affect you in your late twenties. Um, so I think, I think the, 
you know, I didn't even set out to write Grumpy Sunshine. It just like, it's almost like I set out to write like someone to pull you out of your box and out of your comfort zone. Um, and that, you know, can turn into Grumpy Sunshine in a way, like come out from under that rain cloud. Let's go to the beach. <laughs> and the anxiety thing definitely makes sense. Um, cause I know with me, I have anxiety and I get really bad social anxiety. Like yeah. over, over zoom, I'm totally fine. <laughs> but you put me in a room with people that I don't know. I completely shut off and I, you know, on the outside, I can look very grumpy. And sometimes I forget the face that my face is making, you know? Yeah. And so it's, he's just, he's such a wonderfully complicated, beautiful, romantic character and he's just i just love elliot so much i love emma but i love yeah. elliot like i i freaking love elliot and i love those two together because they balance each other out so well yeah and they bring different things out in each other but anyways so basically just excellent job at writing the book it's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> now not another love song um you said it has to do around like a classical orchestra can you tell us mm -hmm. just a little bit about yeah. that book itself and the characters yeah. Yeah. So uh, we met the male uh, main character in Forget Me Not. He was my little uh, backdoor pilot, as they say in TV. Uh, <laughs> he is Xander, the cellist who plays at the wedding. Um, and he says less words out loud than Elliot, which is which is great. Um, but uh, so it is so the book comes out in. Uh, July, July 16th, and the cover reveal should be coming pretty darn soon. So I'm excited about that. And uh, it's a great cover. I'm obsessed with it. Um, and <clears throat> so it's about uh, Gwen, who is a violinist who grew up with very little professional training, but she she would never call herself a prodigy, but she did like teach herself the violin in a day. Um, and uh, she plays for the New York's Pops Orchestra, which is popular music um, in comparison to playing Bach and Beethoven. That's more like, let's bring the Broadway singer on now, you know? Um, and uh, so uh, basically, Xander is the cellist for the Manhattan Pops. And uh, I think I said New York Pops for, New York Pops is the real organization. The one they're in is the Manhattan Pops. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all just make that clarification. Just to clear that up. Um, and uh, basically they are fighting over like a specific position in the orchestra. And uh, so it's a bit of it's definitely co-workers and it's enemies to lovers and I would say if Forget Me Not was my persuasion adaptation my Jane Austen persuasion adaptation then this is my Pride and Prejudice adaptation so um it's definitely definitely uh, a lot of fun and uh very sexy <laughs> oh my god I'm so excited like I was excited for it before but <laughs> That sounds amazing. So, so I have to ask, what is your favorite Jane Austen book? It's a tie between Pride and Prejudice and Persuasion. It's, and Persuasion. I mean, I'd say, I'd say it's probably Pride and Prejudice just because 
it's just so fabulous. But whenever I want to be uh, not a basic white girl, I will say <laughs> persuasion. <laughs> now, what is your favorite adaptation of a Jane Austen book? It doesn't necessarily need to be Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Pride and Prejudice 2005 is the is the mother. <laughs> but, I can have um, it on just in the background. It's yeah. one of those where I just like having it on the screen. Well, the music, I love, I love the, I fall asleep to that movie. Like I turn it on to have something to listen to because the soundtrack is just gorgeous and the cadence of everyone's speech, ugh, it's just great. It's so good. Now, I want to ask, because I remember my first introduction to Jane Austen. Do you remember the first time, like, you watched something of hers or read something of hers? Yeah, we we had to do Pride and Prejudice in high school. Um, uh, So I was 16 or 17. And I think, I think my mom had already shared with me the Colin Firth um, uh, miniseries. I feel like I had already seen it, but I just remember how wonderful it was to be surrounded by, to be like 16, surrounded by 16 year old girls and to have like no pop culture reference to who Darcy was. Like there were, we would actually discuss the book when we were only like 10 chapters in and be like, what the the fuck is this guy's problem? You know, (laughs) they're like, God, I hope Wickham comes back soon. You know, like like truly. Yeah. And just like, and the absolute, like when we all had to read the proposal scene for, you know, the, when the assigned reading took us through the proposal scene, people came back in the next day, like, Whoa guys, (laughs) you know, and it, it just like, how strange is that to have no collective understanding of the plot of Pride and Prejudice and get to like experience it with other teenage girls? It's just that's wild. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And that, yeah. that's a cool way to experience stuff, especially in this day and age, like when, because um, my boyfriend and I were huge Marvel fans and Star mm-hmm. Wars fans and everything. Yeah. And so, like, when a new Marvel movie comes out, he's really bad at looking stuff up in advance. Oh, no. And yeah. I used to be like that, but I'm at the point. <laughs> I'm going to sound so old right now, but I'm at the <laughs> point in my life, like, I'm at the age where I don't want stuff ruined for me because I want to experience something for the first time yeah. without knowing anything that's going on. So, that's got to be so cool, especially something as incredible as Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Okay, so sorry. Definitely... I went off topic there. <laughs> yeah, but no, that, that's <laughs> that's definitely my memory of uh and then I think I remember because not to date myself, but 2005 Pride and Prejudice, it was actually out, but we were not we but like just barely out. Um <clears throat> and so we were when we like once we were like done with the book or when we were like halfway or something my teacher put on the uh Colin Firth proposal scene and we all were like oh what is this where is this where can I find it um and I just remember you know just we got to read it together talk about it together and then watch it and it was just it was the perfect little media explosion (laughs) that's cool yeah I think the first time at least the first thing I remember like of hers that I was exposed to was uh, Sense and Sensibility, the movie with Emma Thompson yes. and Hugh Grant and Ugh. Kate Winslet and Alan Rickman. That's and so good. It's, I, I love that movie. 
I know. Just, I think because I watched it when I was young and that was like my first iteration. Yeah. Like it, Indiana Jones, my favorite is uh, The Last Crusade because that's the first one I ever watched. Yeah. And like her writing and how she evolves these characters, like there's a reason why she's as popular yeah. and as well-known as she is, but. Yeah. Have you read any of Nikki Payne's books? The Pride I've and read, Protest. I read Pride and Protest yeah. and it was and amazing. Then, yeah. She has Sex, Lies, and Sensibility coming out in February. So I was going to say, it's coming out soon. It's so good. You have to check it out. Yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> make sure I buy that one because I loved yeah. Pride and Protest. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I do want to ask, because I know that you are a big theater lover. Like you mm-hmm. said, you're a playwright, actress, all this stuff. I was a stage manager for a really long time and same thing yes. like with you. Queen. I got into theater in the fifth <laughs> in the fifth grade. Like I was yeah. in theater. Um, so how did you get into theater? Mm-hmm. And how did your time in theater influence your writing and your storytelling? Yeah. Uh I went to see a family friend in Fiddler on the Roof. She was playing Hoddle. Um, which is the character that sings far from the home I love. And I turned to my mom at the end. I said, I want to do that. And I was six. <laughs> and then they said, well, you know, the the next show they're doing is Sound of Music. And I was like, mom, I could be Gretel. And so I went out for it. And of course, I did not get Gretel, but I <laughs> played ensemble member number 56. So it nice. was great. Um, and so I just stayed in theater. Um all through high school and into college. I studied theater in college. I majored in it and uh, then studied in New York as well. And just, um, and then eventually started writing as well. So um, yeah, I love theater. It's a huge part of my life. I'd still love to go back to it, um, but it's, you know, professional theater. So absolutely competitive. So I'd almost rather do like create content for myself type thing almost like a Phoebe Waller-Bridge type of flea bag situation you know um so uh yeah but in terms of how it affects I mean I I I think that it helped with my dialogue um I think it helped with um my stage directions like um in terms of like if it's like, well, you could do that, he said, putting down a cup, you know, and then it's like, it's like, you didn't need that pause at all. You you could have said, well, you could do that, or you could come with me to Rome, you know, but like, if you have the pause in between, then you can hear the rhythm of how long it took him to said, or you can come with me to Rome. Um, and in that, there's hesitation. There's she won't say yes. I'm making up this entire plot, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know who's going to Rome. Um, but you know, there like there's that's what I mean by stage direction. Like when you add the little like she watched him bite his nails, you know, and and things like that. Um so I think I think it helped with my rhythm of storytelling. Um I definitely think helps with my dialogue and my rhythm of of how long how long scenes should be how long pauses should be and 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 what works for me my mind is blown right now because (laughs) um the book I just finished writing it's 
my mom was reading it. I had my mom mm-hmm. read it and we were talking about certain things like in the middle of sentences when a character does something, whether she glances his way or whatever. And I never put two and two together because I've read a lot of books where they don't have that, which is fine. It works for the book. Yeah. But in my own writing, like I, what you just said made me realize that I do the <laughs> same thing. And it is because of theater, because like with me, where my major background was as a stage manager with stage direction, constantly writing yeah. stuff in the margins, like, okay, you cross here, you cross, you do this, you pick up this prop, you do that. And my mind is. Yeah. My mind is I right hope, now. I hope I'm right. <laughs> I think I you hope, are because it makes sense. I hope sense. that's a common denominator. Yeah. I think it just, yeah. And like, as a stage manager, you know, the rhythm of the show too, you know, like f- fucking idiots missing his mark. <laughs> Every <laughs> like, he, time. He's not time. in the light. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember I had to do a bit of stage managing myself and I remember um, I was working with this brand new actor <laughs> and, uh, and we were in tech and, he was older than the rest of the cast. The rest of the cast were teenagers. And he and he came out on stage during, uh, you know, we were teching the lights and things like that. We weren't doing a cue to cue necessarily, but just kind of, I was letting them do their thing. And I was trying to, I was lighting designer as well, I should say. And, uh, and it was fabulous because he walks out on stage, goes to his mark where truly he's been rehearsing and knows he's not in the light because he's a goddamn professional took two big steps to the left and I turned, I turned to my assistant. I was like, I think I just came. <laughs> like, like, I cannot believe that I'm oh working with someone who, who knows how to find his light. Like that's, oh that's ridiculous. <laughs> oh my it's, God. It's what professionals do. We know that. And of course yeah. we also know that some professionals still can't. So Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Like they're competent yeah. and they're aware of their surroundings. It's not just about them walking out on stage and reciting their lines and about them. Like they understand that there's other things at play and they're aware. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That makes me happy. Oh my God. That's amazing. Okay. So, okay. So I do want to ask because it was announced earlier this year that Forget Me Not is set to be adapted for TV by Universal. So yeah. you probably can't talk a whole lot about that. But what can you talk about about that? And how how was that process? And how was that experience? Yeah. I mean, okay, so the fun part is that I'm not even like lying to you when I say there's nothing to say. <laughs> um, it's It's such an interesting process that a lot of people, you know, kind of misconstrue the ins and outs of because um, selling your film and TV option basically means it is now someone else's job to try to make this into a TV show or a film property. Um, Not that it was ever specifically my job, but you know, like it's someone has bought the rights to make it their job. And now they have to, between that project and all the 40 million other things that they bought they have to try to start pitching and and seeing what what lands um but i do have to say that i was shocked to hear that universal was super interested in tv because like and like i have i i haven't really even spoken to them i can't even speak to what they thought was 
um, interesting about that. But what I can say is like in my head, what's interesting about that is maybe leaning into the wedding uh, scene and like a different wedding every episode, you know, and kind of like a yes, while we're telling the story of forget me not, we're also having a very luscious like set, you know, backdrop to it with, um, you know, they're having these interpersonal problems, but, or they're, they're hooking up as they do in the past chapters, but, you know, it's at this extremely lush, lavish wedding that, you know, you get to do production value for. I have no idea if that's where their heads were at, but I just, I thought that was an interesting part of it maybe. Um, so yeah, there's, they're usually at this stage, um, projects, projects can totally drop away at this stage and, and that's totally fine, but it, it was cool that there are people who are interested in trying to find a home for it and trying to find a screenwriter, trying to find a showrunner, maybe trying to find some actors to attach and, um, and that's not not my job and not my film agent's job. You know, it's Universal Studios job, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> that's still cool. And it's at least from like a fan of yours, like from my perspective, it's amazing to know. And it makes me so happy to know that there's other people out there that see how amazing this book is and how much talent you have and that the in the worlds and the characters that you create. And it just it makes me happy that there's there was more exposure than just you know us as romance readers who read the book like there's other people who see how amazing this book is so that's still freaking incredible so congratulations I'm manifesting here yeah manifesting (laughs) that something happens yeah so let's transition to our end of interview questions Mm -hmm. you can talk as much on these as you want or as little as you want so what is your favorite genre to read like if you could only pick one for the rest of your life what would it be I I guess romanticy because it has the two things that I okay like that's cheating <laughs> that is cheating but it is becoming its own it genre is, now which is amazing noble yeah <laughs> it is which makes me so happy because even like even when yeah. I was younger fantasy was always my bread and butter yeah. but even like my fantasy has to have some element of romance in it yeah I don't find it interesting everything I read has to have the only thing that I don't need to have romance in is a true whodunit murder mystery thriller like it's great if two people are like attracted to each other and I can be like ooh, but really the the tension for me is like well who's the murderer and so like I don't need the extra romantic tension but anything else YA um general fiction you know anything it has to be really top notch to not to to still keep my interest and not have romance of any kind so i agree yeah. so in that in that vein i'd say fantasy um would be my genre for the rest of my life because there's you'll never run out of things to read you could i could probably sit on tolkien for several years so <laughs> <laughs> that's very true yeah now, if you could write one trope that you haven't written already, so it can't be in Not Another Love Song, yeah, what would you write? I, you know, I have not written Only One Bed um, because I haven't, you know, people haven't gone away and uh, done that. <laughs> 
snowed in type of thing. Um, I would say that, but I, I consider only one bed like a micro trope, like um, because it's like chapter specific usually. Um, so I would love, I love a good arranged marriage um, or marriage of convenience. Um, you know, there are some that can totally do it in um, contemporary terms, uh, but, uh, you know, fantasy is just as good too. Yeah. Now, what are you currently reading and what is next on your list? Currently reading both um, One Year Ago in Spain by Evelyn Skye. She is the young adult fantasy author of Damsel. And uh, I haven't read her young adult fantasy, so I have to remember. But her first adult was... Um, the when, Juliet uh, one, right? Yeah, Juliet. Yeah, I'm trying to... One, hundred lives of loves <laughs> something, something like that yeah Juliet Sky S-K-Y-E um and uh she so I'm reading her one year ago in Spain which is so good and like luscious um and and really you know it's one of those where she's technically writing contemporary but you can tell she has roots in fantasy because things are things are just luscious um and then the Paradise Problem, Christina Lauren, that I mentioned earlier. Um, and then I'm doing, finally getting around to both Sierra Simone and Julie Murphy's uh, uh, two Chris, dirty little Christmas ones. <laughs> Mary I read little the first Me, one cute. and I loved it. Yeah, I I'm like halfway it. through. They just, they just banged. And I'm like, yes, keep it going. <laughs> you guys got this. You can do it. Yeah. Now, what is the most valuable piece of advice you've received in regards to your writing? To writing specifically, like craft-wise, do you just, think? Yeah, writing, publishing. It's yeah. just it's a self-serving question, if I'm being totally honest with you. Yeah, right. I want to pick your guys' brains. So anything like with publishing or writing in general, craft, it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, leave Twitter now is the <laughs> is a big one. But um, craft-wise, I got really most of my craft tips from uh, Save the Cat, which is the screenwriting manual one may say but it applies really well to all forms of storytelling and it doesn't always fit romance um there's like a romance plot structure thing which is completely different um but i find that i like to structure my books by save the cat um because it helps kind of helps keep the um the like, well, what what else is there but the romance um, thing strong in the book? Um, and that usually for me has to do with their careers. Um, so yeah, that's my biggest craft help is the pieces of Save the Cat that I've kind of held on to. Now, if you weren't an author and money wasn't an issue, education, experience wasn't an issue, if you could do one thing for work, what would you do? I would lay down. <laughs> if money wasn't an issue I would find a way to get paid to lay down um, I appreciate that yeah and uh I mean I really like playing the sims I think that would be very funny to just pay me to play the sims I think I could do a really good job at that despite being very poor at using the mods and building structures in the sims um but 
I mean, acting. I already said I'd love to return to um, acting and I'd love to write for television someday. So um, that's definitely not that like, it seems like a, <laughs> it is like a money is no issue. Like, you know, what do you want to do type of thing? But it is like, I'd love to do something just as hard as writing, writing for television. <laughs> oh my God. Well, knock on wood one day. Yeah, one day. exactly. Now, if you could invite any person over for dinner, dead or alive, who would you invite? Uh, I've thought about this before, what I said. I would, okay, I have two answers to this. One, the first one is Mindy Kaling. I would love to just like be her friend. And I don't think we would get dinner. I think we would just like uh, go get fast food um, because I don't cook. And, but the other question is, the other answer is I'd love to speak to uh, Ryan Johnson, who directed the second Star Wars sequel trilogy movie, The Last Jedi, uh, without an NDA. I would like to him to break his NDA and we'll have dinner together. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Were you a fan of The Last Jedi or no? I love The Last Jedi. I hated The Rise of Skywalker. So it's, uh, I just want to know... Uh, I just, I just want to know things. I also, I actually would love to talk to both Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams without their NDAs. Uh, I also think Oscar Isaac is itching to tell us things that his NDAs cannot <laughs> reveal. Um, but I just think there, it's just such a, such a million, possibly billion dollar franchise that they just decided to like chuck into the toilet. And I just think it's fascinating. I'd love to hear why. <laughs> Who's your favorite, who's your all-time favorite Star Wars character? Um, it doesn't have to be from the movies. It can be from any. Oh, yeah. Um, probably Han. Um, but also, that's tough because there's like, like, mm, I loved R2-D2 as a kid. I used to like do his little beeps and boops all the time. <laughs> bless you his to... uh his beeps is my it's my yeah text yeah. Tone. yeah oh I love it um yeah I think I think Han Solo um it's probably all-time favorite in terms of like has been with me my whole life <laughs> yeah that's true yeah. I think mine if I had to pick one I I think it would be Thrawn because and who is that so he is Grand Admiral Thrawn. I don't know. Did you see uh, the Ahsoka TV show? No, not so, yet. Like I, I love, I love Ahsoka. Um, mm -hmm. There's the animated show Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, I first was introduced to her in that. That's where I was introduced to Thrawn. He is this, obviously, this Grand Admiral, and he's so intelligent. Like yeah. he has no Force powers, but he is one of the most intelligent people, like in the Star Wars universe, and he's so he's so compelling and yeah. he's such a good character and i love that he is this incredible villain and he outwits all of these people and he has zero powers it's all with yeah. his brain so he's i highly recommend looking up a little bit that's about fascinating yeah that's a good way to flip star wars stuff on its head is like and no right. force powers involved people can still be assholes <laughs> yep still assholes and still brilliant <laughs> yeah now, if you can invite a fictional person over for dinner, who would you invite? Uh, 
God, I guess Elliot Bloom, I would try to steal him away from Emma. <laughs> I like that. Now, where is a place that you haven't visited that you would like to, both domestically in the U.S. and internationally? Domestically in the U.S., I have never spent... I'd love to go to, um, like, Nantucket or, like, just something on the east coast that's you know very like <laughs> whaling town you know <laughs> very relaxing and vacationy um like that but i have been to a lot of places in the us um so that's a hard one and then i just started traveling out of the country more often and i'd love to go to i haven't seen any of germany i think i'd like to go to germany very nice yeah okay now last question Mm -hmm. what currently brings you joy the sims (laughs) i love it yeah it's my expansion pack all of them i swear to god i have like they just put out a new one where you can actually like be a landlord for like instead of just like creating an apartment building and then like creating eight sims to fill out those dwellings like now it's like one of them can be the landlord and they charge rent and like your apartment building can be like two stars because you have mold places and it's just like I have no idea if it's a good pack yet I literally just downloaded it a couple days ago so I'm still trying to figure out if it's uh if it's worth my time (laughs) that is fantastic now do you create your own characters or do you use the ones that come with the game I create my own I actually create my book characters in the sims a lot of the time it helps me like you know it's like it's like if i ever feel like god i should be working but instead i'm playing the sims and sometimes i'm like i don't know like what are the three personality traits that define ama (laughs) oh my god that is amazing and like i make you know and then i get to like dress her and like try to be like yeah that is what she would wear every day and then like she and then like figuring out like yeah, what are their favorite colors? What's their favorite uh, home decor? And like trying to build the sim out, and then like, yeah, I built I built like a I had an apartment where um, Hazel, Jackie, Emma, Mar, and Elliot were all living, and uh, and Elliot had like a you know little flower uh, had a garden over here on the side and Mar had a little photo studio over here. And Hazel was an influencer and Jackie went to her politician job and like, there's no wedding designer category for Emma. So she was just, I think, I don't know what I had her do, but it was, yeah, that's my life. Amazing. (laughs) That is fucking amazing. Oh my God. And it's just character development. That's all you're doing. Yeah. Well, it is funny to be, to like, look at all the characteristics you could give your Sims because that you can only give them three, but they give you like 50 to choose from. And I'm like, what are the three that are Jackie? You know, like, what's the, how does this work? It's a, it's fascinating. So I've done that with, um, I've done that. I actually haven't made Xander and Gwen yet I don't think but um I started making it for a book that I actually was going to be book three and then I shelved and then now the ones that I have the what book three is going to be I started making those now (laughs) that's amazing okay when you make Xander and you said Gwen right Gwen yeah 
that when you make them, you need, you need to, you need to share it. Be like, I know what she's talking about. It's, it is, it's character development. Oh my God. That is, (laughs) that's fucking amazing. (laughs) Oh my God. That's, that's fantastic. (laughs) I'm totally going to start doing that. I'm totally going to do that and see if my characters could actually live with each other and not kill each other. Yeah. And then you have to like, like I made, well, the fun part is that like, there's like non-committal is a trait that your characters can have meaning that they don't like to get into serious relationships and I'm like ha perfect I get to watch Anna be like super uncomfortable with me making her fall in love like (laughs) that's amazing oh my god that's fantastic well thank you so much Julie for being here it was fantastic to talk to you and honestly it was such an honor thank you so much I'm so glad thank you Megan this was so much fun Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And before I sign off, I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune in. If you want to stay up to date on episodes and announcements, please subscribe or follow me at The Real Bookish Writer or at The Well Read Podcast on Instagram. Thank you again for listening and have a magical day. See you next week.